Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. So right now we're getting ready for a wedding. Our son Kyle and his fiance Charlotte are getting married in like 28 days. It's been crazy, especially with the pandemic and the quarantine and all the restrictions and all the guidelines. It's been very crazy trying to get this thing planned and figure out what's happening. They started with a location that was reserved and a guest list of about 300 people. Well, that that didn't last. Then it was possibly going to be a really small wedding. They were talking about maybe just a handful of people, maybe just parents and them. And then it started looking like maybe maybe we'd be able to do to do kind of like a group of 50. Finally, just last weekend, the plans kind of came together. The wedding's going to be at Hanging Rock Camp in Indiana. At that time, at the time of their wedding, Indiana is supposed to be allowing groups of up to 250. So the guest list is limited, but not like it was at one time. And let me tell you, trying to make those determinations when the guest list was being cut down, that was, that was a hard thing to do. That was not fun. I mean, you, you've got the wedding party, the bride, the groom, the attendants. You have family like parents, grandparents, and siblings. And you have guests. And then you have the plus ones. <laughs> Do you know what a plus one is? A plus one is the guest who's going to then bring a guest. And you have to think about that. You have to add that person to the list of those that are coming. A plus one is normally okay, but sometimes it isn't. For example, a plus one doesn't work for a wedding in a global pandemic. The plus ones were the first ones taken off the list. And here's another example. When it comes to faith, when it comes to faith, we can't have a plus one. The Christian faith is centered on Jesus, on Jesus alone. It's not Jesus mixed in with any other religious traditions or ideas. It's not Jesus plus a certain set of traditions or rules or expectations. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's just Jesus. But that's been a struggle for the church for a very, very long time. We want to add in our opinions and we want to add in our values. So faith becomes Jesus plus whatever we personally think is important. So Christianity is about Jesus and looking and acting a certain way. So Christianity is about Jesus and certain values or politics or preferences that we have. 
So Christianity is about Jesus and the standards that we set. We kind of, in a way, we're kind of acting like the big brother in the prodigal story. Remember this young man, we call him the prodigal. He rebelled against his father. He lived reckless and he lost everything that he was given. And he comes back to his father. He's in shame and he's in regret. And his father hugs him. But the older brother is standing there angry. He doesn't deserve this. He didn't do things the right way. Sometimes we can't handle the simplicity of grace. Sometimes we want something more than just Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Colossae. It was an ancient city located in modern-day Turkey. The church quite likely met in the home of a man named Philemon, which, incidentally, we have a letter to him. It's another one of our New Testament books, the letter, the Bible book, Philemon. Paul didn't start the church there. But he was familiar with it. The man leading the church was a man named Epaphras. And he had shared with Paul, he had told Paul how things were going with the church. And from the letter, especially chapter 2, it's clear to see that the church was being influenced by some false teachings. The church was starting to think and starting to act like Jesus wasn't enough. They wanted to add a plus one. So Paul writes to encourage them and to remind them that it's all about Jesus. Jesus alone. Jesus is all that we need. Let's read together what Paul wrote to them. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has told us of your love in the Spirit. Paul had good thoughts, and good feelings for this church. His letter has a very soft tone of affirmation to God's holy people, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you. He tells them that he has thanked God for them. He has prayed for them, and he has heard of their faith and the love that they have for God's people. This is not an attack. This is not criticism. This is not condemnation. This is a letter of support. It's a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of gentle guidance. The church wasn't off the rails. 
They weren't like way off the rails going against God, but they were being slightly misled. And it was taking them to a very dangerous place. Paul says to them, he says, you, you know the gospel. You know who Jesus is. You know that it's salvation by grace. And that gospel is growing and it's reaching the whole world. You learned it from Epaphras. And the man, and the man who taught it to you is the one who has told us about you. In Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14, we continue. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul was praying that they would know the will of God. Paul was praying that they would grow in the knowledge of God. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need someone who loves us enough to tell us to be cautious. We need someone challenging us to check our theology, to be careful what we choose to believe. We need people in our life that will point us back towards Jesus when we start to drift. And that's exactly what Paul does in this letter. That's what Paul is writing to them for. That's what he's doing in this letter. He tells them that God has rescued them from the dominion of darkness through Jesus. In Jesus, they have redemption. They have the forgiveness of sins. You see, they were starting to believe that Jesus wasn't enough. They were beginning to think that there had to be something else. There has to be something else, something more. And Paul wanted them to know that, no, that's not the case. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is above all. Colossians 1, verse 15 through 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have, check out this word, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope 
held out in the gospel. It's all about Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All of God's fullness is in Jesus, and through Jesus we are reconciled to God. He made peace through his sacrifice, through his death upon the cross. He made peace between us and God. Once we were separated from God, enemies because of, enemies with God because of our sin. But through Jesus, we are presented to God wholly without any accusation. And that's why, that's why it is all about Jesus. That's why Jesus is everything. That's why we want to know Jesus and we want everyone to know Jesus. That's why we place our trust, our faith in Jesus That's why we want more people to trust Jesus and place their faith in him. That's why we want to be sold out and fully devoted to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because Jesus is the only real hope that anyone can ever have. He's the only way to escape the guilt of sin. He's the only way to be forgiven and set free. You see, our hope And our salvation is not about what you know. It's about who you know. There's no standard or credential that must be met. There's no appearance that must be kept. There's nothing more than a Savior to embrace. A Lord to surrender and submit to. When God chose to reveal himself, he revealed himself through Jesus. Max Lucado said it like this. The tongue that called forth the dead was a human one. The hand that touched the leper had dirt under its na- his nails. The feet upon which the women wept were calloused and dusty. And his tears, oh, don't miss the tears. They came from a heart as broken as yours or mine has ever been. So people came to him. My, how they came to him. They came at night. They touched him as he walked down the street. They followed him around the sea. They invited him into their homes and they placed their children at his feet. Why? Because he refused to be a statue in a cathedral or a priest in an elevated pulpit. He chose instead to be Jesus. There were those who revered him, but there was not one person who considered him too holy, too divine, or too celestial to touch. There was not one person who was reluctant to approach him for being fear, for the fear of being rejected. Remember, it is man who creates the distance. It is Jesus who builds the bridge. We need to quit creating that distance between people and God. We need to quit adding in our own extra conditions and standards. It's not Jesus plus one. It's not Jesus plus anything. Paul was determined and he was resolute in that message. In his letter to the Galatians, he is even more bold, even more direct, even more explicit. Someone was trying to teach them that accepting Jesus wasn't enough. They were saying that when you came to Christ, you also had to obey the Jewish teaching, the Jewish tradition of circumcision. Yes, you could come to Christ, you could accept Christ, you could be a Christian, but first... 
You had to go and you had to be circumcised. It was a Jewish tradition and custom. It wasn't just Jesus. It was Jesus plus one. It was Jesus and the law and the customs of Judaism. Paul was mad. They had been set free from those regulations. They had been set free from that ritual law. And now they're being held back to it. Like as if it was necessary when it actually wasn't. Listen to his words and you can hear the frustration. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 through 12. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Can you hear his frustration? You can hear him desperately saying, don't buy into this. Don't buy into this idea. Don't fall for it. Don't let yourself be enslaved to a shallow, meaningless ritual. If you accept that, if you think that that's what's required, if you're adding this to the requirements, then what Christ has done is meaningless. If you think one rule is required, then every rule must be kept perfectly. Do not ignore grace. Can you hear his frustration? Their faith was strong. He says you were running the race so well, but somebody cut in and messed you up. Someone cut in and got you off course. And that little bit of distorted truth has the potential to spread and corrupt the pure gospel. In verse 12, his words are harsh. Those agitators, those who claim that circumcision is necessary, I wish they would just go all the way and emasculate themselves. We need to stop and consider, have I added extra expectations to the grace of God? Have you added extra expectations to the grace of God? Am I putting my own limits on who God will forgive? I'm not suggesting or saying that God ignores unrepentant sin. 
1 Corinthians 6 clearly says that those who continue in sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 and 10 says, The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Grace doesn't give us a license. Grace doesn't give us a freedom to go on and continue and keep on sinning. Grace doesn't allow us to refuse to submit to God and just do as we please. But verse 11 tells us that and such were some of you. You used to be like that. You used to be these people that I just listed. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The grace of God is big enough to wash anyone clean of sin. Anyone. The grace of God is big enough to wash clean the sin of anyone. There's no limit. So don't ever say, I've done too much. I've done too much that's wrong. I can't ever change. God's not going to be able to use me. God doesn't want me. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Don't ever say, they will never change. Don't ever think that someone needs to meet your standards before God will accept or approve of them. We need to quit making our own arbitrary lines and declaring who's in and who's out. Deciding who we think deserves to be loved by God and who doesn't. When we add our own conditions to the grace of God, we essentially make salvation something that we earn. When we add our own rules, our own traditions, and our own expectations to grace, we empty the cross of its power. The Bible tells us that grace is a gift from God. Grace is a gift of God. And in Romans, Paul reminds us what God said to Moses. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. We need to realize that. Heaven will be filled up with people who are different than we are. Let me say that again. Heaven is going to be filled up with people who are different than we are. In fact, John's vision of heaven showed a very diverse group of people together in worship. Revelation 7, 9 says, I looked and there was a great number of people, so many that no one could count them. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language of the earth. They were all standing before the throne and before the Lamb. If you're only comfortable being around people who are like you, if you only want to be around or with people who are just like you, heaven's going to be a very uncomfortable place for you. Heaven is filled up only by those who have placed their faith, who have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But those people, 
People who have done that, people who have placed faith in Christ and submitted and surrendered to him as Lord and Savior, those people come from every country, from every nation. They come from every economic or social background. They come from every race or every ethnicity. They come with all sorts of habits and opinions. They come with all sorts of likes and dislikes. Let us not be guilty of putting our own manufactured limits around the grace of God. The pure, unadulterated grace of God is a beautiful thing. Some of the most beautiful landscapes I've ever seen were in New Zealand. And when Leanne and I were there, I took hundreds of pictures. On our last few days there, we flew to the South Island. We flew into the airport in Queenstown. It was an incredible view. And when we came back to the airport a few days later, we drove along a lake up to a little town called Glenorchy. I told Leanne, I said, if I ever go missing, go look there. I may be settling into life off the grid there in Glenorchy. Here's a picture of the road leading there. And then here's a picture of the road just past there. I said, I took hundreds of pictures. But guess what? I really haven't shown them to very many people. Because the pictures are so disappointing. Because the pictures don't really show it as it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, Paul says this. Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That gift is the gift of grace. That gift is Jesus. Indescribable, beautiful, beyond what we can picture. Because Jesus is everything. Jesus is all that we need. Jesus is more than enough. Will you please pray? Father God, forgive us for way too often trying to put our own thoughts, opinions, conditions upon what it means to be accepted and loved and approved by you. God, we just are so guilty of that. We make salvation or righteousness not a simple act of receiving grace but something we earn or attain by being a certain way. Forgive us. Forgive us for placing those standards upon ourselves, and really, God, forgive us for placing those standards upon other people. May we settle in for the simple grace that saves us. What a beautiful thing it is. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. And if you'd like to leave a comment, please send an email to c.wordspodcast at gmail.com. May the word of God be living and active in your life. <laughs>